0: Whether it's the Sherlock Holmes Tour in London, the night helicopter flight over Las Vegas, or whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon, whatever you're into, you'll find an experience you love. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com.
2: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware.com deals that's alienware.com deals hey welcome to stuff to blow your mind my name is robert lamb and I'm Joe McCormick, and it's Saturday, so we are heading into the vault for an older episode of the show. This one was originally published on September 29th, 2022, but it was part of our our Halloween offerings for uh, for last year. This was part one of our series on Elf Shot.
1: That's right. I mean, if you're not sure what this is about, well, I mean, does it get any spookier than strange, unseen, unknowable beings in the woods? just firing off strange missiles that may well be invisible and when they lodge themselves in the bodies of your livestock or even worse your body uh, they bring about uh, you know untold destruction beware of the fairy weapons it was my fault for letting the cattle graze so near the old wood in the circular stones where the roots grow elf twisted and rain water fills elf cups in the rock where strange lights dance some nights and the moonlight shines brighter than elsewhere. I'd lost cows before, but never like this. I found her bloated and dead by the tree line. As I strolled up to the poor heifer, I saw neither bite nor puncture on her hide. I scanned the surrounding grass for signs of tracks or blood. I saw neither, but that's when something caught my eye a small stone point like an arrowhead with neither shaft nor fletchings, and carved by some art not practiced by mortal men. I stooped to pick it up, and that's when I felt a white-hot pain in my upper left side. I felt for blood underneath my shirt. Such was the pain, but found only unpierced flesh, even as the agony of it brought me to my knees in the tall grass. I scanned the tree line. They were invisible to my eyes, but I felt them somehow the elves watching on from the shadows of the wood perhaps snickering in their sublime odd tongue as the elf bolt racked my body but i clutched the stone in my hand i knew what i had to do i dragged myself back across the field sweat pouring down my face and my spleen swelling fit to burst with elf cake even then when i arrived back at the house i dropped the little elf stone in a pan of water I clutched my Bible for good measure I strained to remember words and incantations By either priest or wise woman But the best I could manage was a vague prayer To be interpreted by whatever heard me in my moment of need I drank the stone-touched water down All of it, though it chilled my teeth and stung my tongue And then I realized too late that the charm was no good For it had touched the ground Sunlight had fallen upon it the power of the elves had all but drained from the thing, and I was afforded only passing relief. And so I write this letter by candlelight, and I will weigh it down on the table with the queer stone as proof, for I am now elf-marked, and elf-taken. I swell, I ache, the moon rises once more, and the sound of their music fills the night.
2: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And that little cold open definitely takes some liberties with the folklore we're going to be discussing here today. We're trying to get a little seasonal um, Halloween flavor here going in this episode, which I guess is kind of kick-starting our Halloween season here on Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Uh, but, But today we're going to be talking about, as you might guess from the opening, Elf Shot, or Elf Stones, Pixie Arrows, Elf Arrows, and many other names the missiles of the others. Yeah, yeah. So the, the basic idea here, I think, is, is basically embedded in the, the fiction we just shared here. The idea that, and this is just roughly so, like with, with many folk traditions, as we'll discuss, there are a number of variations over time and space. But the idea here is that the elves, out of trickery or pure malice, they might shoot cattle or humans, in some cases, with their invisible arrows These invisible arrows leave little or no physical trace, and again, in many tellings, but cause otherwise unexplainable pain or disease or perhaps even death. The notion was supported via the evidence of discovered Neolithic arrowheads and other curios, and the idea is especially tied to the British Isles, but one sees examples of it from elsewhere in Europe as well as uh, from the Americas after
0: uh, colonial arrival. Right. So the belief in Elfshot, I think, is best understood not as a single belief, but as a sort of uh, complex of related explanations for totally different types of natural phenomena that are all sort of unified under under a common theory of, uh, of, of fairy weapons and fairy malice. Yeah, yeah. And without diving any deeper,
1: we can we can see the appeal of these ideas, right? It's a superstitious, supernatural script that can help explain uh, several different things, help explain an otherwise unexplained illness, otherwise unexplained pain or another malady, otherwise unexplained illness or death in cattle and otherwise unexplained artifacts found on or in the earth. Now, it makes sense I think at this point to discuss the elves a bit because I, I know for, for many of us out there, you, you say the word elf and there are probably a few different key images and ideas that are gonna immediately come, come to life in your mind. Uh, I mean, especially now with uh, uh, the Rings of Power on TV and so forth, many of, and also the, you know, the resurgence of Dungeons and Dragons, people are gonna think about the fantasy elves of Tolkien and Tolkien-derived works like Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, for, for others of you out there you might instantly think about Santa's elves or keebler elves little uh you know curious people making novelties and imaginary idealistic uh,
0: workshops right I would say that the influence of tolkien is so strong that uh, at least in in America i don't i don't know if this would be as true in the rest of uh, the English-speaking world, even, but but at least in America, when you say elf, I think what people mostly think is a, a Tolkien-style high elf, an Elrond or Galadriel type figure, a kind of uh, noble and elegant fantasy aristocrat who has you know <laughs> wisdom and magic arts to offer. Yeah, and generally just super
1: blonde hair, like a yeah. real <laughs> real pristine blonde wig going on in many cases. <laughs> Though I guess Elrond, Elrond didn't have blonde hair.
0: Did Elrond have red hair? I don't know. Dark hair?
1: I don't know. He's. I mean, there's an El, the Elrond, young Elrond, the, the younger version of Elrond is in the uh, uh, the Rings of Power, and I'm 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 suddenly uh, at at a loss to remember what color his hair is. Mainly remember the ears.
0: Yeah, I remember thinking around the year two thousand two or so. It's like live Tyler. That's an elf. <laughs>
1: Now, I guess the interesting thing is that, of course, both of these ideas, it, obviously Tolkien's uh, ideas of elves have, uh, have their roots in actual folklore and mythology, as one would expect. But, but even like Santa's elves and Keebler elves, I guess they're not, they're not completely removed from the, the mythological um, uh, roots here, but, the, but, but perhaps less connected.
0: Yeah, as you're saying, once you get outside of the very sort of narrowly Tolkien influenced idea, uh, the elf is actually an extremely broad tradition. Right, right, and you get into
1: into many of these uh, traditions and beliefs of old, and elves get more mysterious and also more dangerous. They become less human and 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 harder to fathom. So, I, two of the sources I often turn to when when thinking about these things are uh, Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, uh, which is is uh, you know which is a uh, you know pretty pretty good book even today for for uh, for highlighting some of this stuff. And then, of course, I always look at uh, the books of folklorist Carol Rose, in particular for this one, Spirits, Fairies, Leprechauns, and Goblins, which is still very much in print. Uh, I always recommend that one to uh, to fans of. Uh, mythological and folkloric beings. But in Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, the definition of elf is, quote, a dwarfish being of Teutonic mythology possessed of magical powers, which is used for the good or ill of mankind. Carol Rose in, uh, in uh, Spirits, Fairies, Leprechauns, and Goblins mentions that in Teutonic mythology, the Alfar are sub- subdivided into dark elves and light elves, and uh, Rose refers to them as well as a type of uh, sprite found in British, Icelandic, Scandinavian, and Teutonic legend. They are the uh, the Alf, the Alf. There are several different spellings that are kind of like elf or Alf or Ylf or, or in some cases you have like the Ellen or elf folk in Danish. You have the Elvor in Swedish uh, traditions, and then there are the speywives wives in Icelandic traditions, and many more. Now, there have been attempts to understand elves as both um, sort of folkloric and mythological reverberations of our understandings of indigenous peoples, which certainly ties in with some of the themes we'll be exploring here, as well as with people – born with certain birth defects or people that have certain illnesses. Um, And these are perhaps broader explorations, uh, but but I think we can see the validity of both avenues, combined, of course, as always, with the self-sustaining power of myth, folklore, and belief, uh, you know, we, as we often mention on the show, we can't, we can't discount the power of human imagination and creativity, be that, uh, you know, imagination uh, acting out of pure whimsy or imagination seeking to understand things or to even make shape of, uh, of various realities of life.
0: Yeah. Another way I would put that is that, yes, people often did probably see something they didn't understand and then uh, try to put together a mythical theory of it, a kind of supernatural explanation that would make sense of it. But then other times, clearly people just make things up. I mean people yeah. have imagination and they they dream things up. So you get you get both in our mythical traditions I think and it's limiting to uh, assume that you're always looking at one thing or the other.
1: Right, right. But once the once the script is established, the script is generally nourished uh and maintained. <laughs> Um, so, so like other similar beings in folklore, such as, say, the the Irish tradition of the Tuatha de Danann, uh fairies and so forth, there's kind of a, a ghost species aura to the elves. They're the sublime other that occupies places the, that we cannot occupy. They hold powers that we scarcely comprehend, and they may wish us well, they may wish us ill, or they may just sort of be neutral in all matters. Uh, and their reasons uh, are, are hard to fathom. They, they might do the things they do on a whim, or they might have uh, seemingly good reason uh, to act against us or, or for us. Uh, They're also associated with a host of unexplained phenomena, including visual phenomena, making them a a core supernatural script for the unexplained that I think aligns, and and, and many have pointed this out, align closely with 20th and 21st century uses of the UFO script, uh, of the, the alien visitor script for the unexplained as a way of shaping and processing things that we don't understand. For example, as pointed out by both uh, in both Rose's uh, book and in Brewers, we have a number of elf-related phenomenon uh, in folk traditions, and they include the following: uh, There's elf boar, uh, which is apparent, this is the, apparently a, a piece of wood from which the knot has been dropped out. I don't know how mm. how much I really need a supernatural script to explain that, but fair enough. there's elf cake. this is uh, an enlargement of the spleen. Ooh. Uh, elf child, uh, this is a changeling, getting into changeling uh, traditions. This one was new to me, an elf cup. Uh, elf cup, this would be uh, where you have stone that has a hollow formed from dripping water and water collects there. Well, that's the elf cup, and I guess the elves drink from it. Mm-hmm. Elf fire, getting into traditions of the will-o'-the-wisp, which we've covered on the show before. Now, here's one that people with long, longer hair or with children with longer hair can definitely... Uh, uh, comment on elf locks. These are tangles and knots in the hair caused by elves in the night. Uh, if one is elf marked, that may refer to birth defects or birth marks caused by the elves. If you are elf taken, that means you're a bewitched or enchanted person. Uh, Elf twisted may refer to someone who has suffered a stroke, but it also can refer to deformed vegetation, elf twisted vegetation. And then this is an interesting one I ran across as well. I don't think this was in either of of these texts, but elf milling, the sound of woodworms chewing. Mm. And then, of course, we have our elf arrows, our elf shot, um, which, again, is a perfect script to turn to in an attempt to explain the unexplainable. And also, as alluded to in the uh, Cold Open, the artifacts uh, associated with Elf Shot, the little found. Uh uh, stones and arrowheads are also associated with various folk medicine and magical practices, uh, generally thought to heal or alleviate illness in animals or humans. Generally, uh, illnesses caused or perceived to be caused by the elf shot. Like if you get shot by a fantasy uh, arrow, by a magical arrow from an, uh, from the elves. Well, if you can find that uh, that artifact, well, then maybe we have a chance of, of curing things or. If we happen to have any uh, in the collection of the the local healer, uh, maybe a little satchel
0: of of elf stone somewhere, well, those can be used uh, in the curative arts. Drawing on the traditional logic of like cures like or sympathetic magic, the idea that if your your ailment is caused by a certain type of object or, or, or action, then it can also be maybe cured by a similar or related type of object or action. Right, right. And
1: sometimes these stones, uh, these elf arrows and so forth, they're thought to be be essentially the ones that were fired. Uh, other times, they may have been dropped by the elves. In some other cases, you have situations where these things are interpreted as having like
0: fallen from the sky and so forth. Yeah, a lot of the older sources that uh, I, I read quoted said that they were dropped from the air. mm. Now, for a couple of
1: related concepts here, Uh, in Scotland there are also tales of fairy riding by which a livestock's paralysis is explained as being due to exhaustion caused by fairies riding the animals around as mounts all through the night. There's also the use of thunderstones, uh, of which I guess elf-shot is kind of a subset or at least they're very related concepts in which people have reinterpreted stone axe heads, tools, and also fossils as sacred objects that may have fallen from the sky or experience some other supernatural entry into our world. And we see examples of this in European, Native American, and Asian traditions as well. Mm -hmm. I found an interesting quote uh, on this. This is from 1894 in Need Fire, published in the Illustrated Archaeologist by archaeologist J. Romilly Allen. Quote, there is hardly a single prehistoric remain in the country whose name does not show that common people associated with fairies, witches, hags, or the devil. So too with the implements and objects found on ancient sites. The stone celt is looked upon as a thunderbolt, the flint arrow an elf arrow, the spindle wheel a fairy's millstone, the colored glass bead an adder bead." Adderbeads, by the way, were these were thought to have been created by snakes and they were used in folk medicine as well. Hmm. And of course, in general, the idea of invisible missiles sent by a supernatural enemy. Uh, that, that causes illness. This is also comparable to other concepts of magic spells and curses that can be found in cultures throughout the world from, you know, there are examples like the traditions of the skinwalkers among the Navajo, the, the concept of gu poison and, and the Han Chinese traditions. Um, and, you know, many such traditions around the world that involve the work of outsiders or secret outsiders that bring about sickness in a given people.
3: Yeah.
0: Now I thought it would be a good idea for Elfshot specifically to uh, look at a paper that collected some direct accounts of folk beliefs about Elfshot, especially in Scotland, um, where a lot of this folklore work was done. Uh, And this paper is by Thomas Davidson. It's called Elfshot Cattle. It was published in the journal Antiquity in 1956. Uh, Now I do want to preface in the next episode, I think we're going to talk about a couple of papers that um, offer some criticism of the subject of elf shot, maybe questioning some things about this alleged folk belief. But I thought it would be good to first look at some of the more prevailing notions uh, from, from previous scholarship. Now, this paper by Davidson kicks off uh, offering a, a number of, of accounts. Uh, the first one is one that was recorded in Scottish Notes and Queries uh, in the first series. And uh, this, uh, this is rendered with a wonderful bit of transliterated Scottish accent, which I will not attempt to do in my own voice as I read it. But. It is quoting a, uh, a Buchan farmer, uh, this, is a, this is a region of uh, Scotland, a Buchan farmer in the late autumn of 1884, and uh, his complaint was as follows, quoted in Scottish Notes and Queries. Oh, and there are a couple of terms in here I'll have to come back and, and define in a minute probably, but uh, the quote goes like this. I've gotten an ill job this morning in the death of a fine Stirk by Elfshot, and the pity is he wasn't fastened to a hair tether, which is a halter made of hair. A uh, fan the weapon would have fallen short of him. And then Davidson writes, When asked whether it might not have been due to quarter ill, he replied, That couldn't have be. My neighbor and me open up the beast, and there was a hole through his heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a couple of things there. He says that this happened to a sterk. A sterk is a yearling bullock or heifer, so think a, a, a calf, young cattle. Uh, and then there's this reference to quarter-ill as the, the opposite explanation. Uh, uh, quarter-ill is a common disease found in livestock, also known as blackleg. It's caused by an infection, often in one of the limbs, by Clostridium bacteria. And I've read in other sources that death can be very rapid after symptoms first present, sometimes just a matter of hours. So you could have a a calf fall dead of quarter ill without really much warning at all. I
1: love the detail about the hole through the heart. Uh, This lines up with some other accounts I was looking at where while uh, in which elf shot is not thought to present a traditional wound, in some cases there's no wound at all, but other times there is a wound if you know what to look for, if you look closely Mm. enough And, of course, this easily falls in with the realities we see mirrored in in other supernatural scripts. Like, if if you, you know, the the mark of the witch, well, if you look closely enough and you want to find it enough, you will find the mark of the witch. If you want to find the, um, uh, you know, the the, the, the hidden censor that the aliens put in a person's flesh, well, just keep looking. You'll find
0: something that seems a little odd, and surely that is the mark. Yeah, there are all kinds of methods to detect the mark. I'll, I'll talk about that a, a bit in a minute. One of them I read about is like a the oldest member of the family should wear a blue bonnet, and then the blue bonnet will be rubbed all over the cow, and somehow the rubbing of the flower or the – actually, I don't know if that refers to a flower or an actual bonnet. I, it says blue hmm. bonnet in the paper. But whichever one it is, you rub that on the cow, and that will reveal where the, where the animal was struck. Hmm. But anyway, so to recap this story from from 1884, this farmer is saying a healthy young calf drops dead in its first year. Suddenly, no apparent explanation, uh, though, again, of course, there are diseases that cause sudden death in bovines. And the farmer and his neighbor confirm the cause of death was elf shot because they did an autopsy and found that even though the animal had no external wounds, there was a hole in the animal's heart. Okay, second account uh, cited by Davidson. This was originally published in uh, Proceedings of the Society of Antiquaries in Scotland Uh, And uh, it goes like this. Davidson writes, quote, some years before in 1867, a Mr. Hugh Morrison saw a cow which was said to have been killed by the fairies when he pointed out to the farmer that her death had been caused by rolling over and her long horns penetrating the ground had kept her in a position from which she could not rise. He was told that uh, that was a common way in which cows fall when struck by the. Uh, and then this is something that is spelled like uh, like it looks like Saghead Sith, but I believe this is Sage She or Side She, which is Scots Gaelic for fairy arrow. Hmm. So Davidson connects these beliefs to, as we already mentioned, the discovery of Neolithic flints in the fields and the countryside where uh, he claims that these were not generally associated with prehistoric human technology. Now, there are some uh, associations of that kind going all the way back to the 17th century, but they're not generally accepted by the people, Davidson says. And uh, he quotes the story of a Reverend John Fraser who uh, was writing a letter dated to the year 1702 that was recorded in a work called The Darker Superstitions of Scotland by J.G. Daliel. And the letter is talking about how uh, Fraser thought it was strange, quote, that these elf stones, whether little or mickle, uh, mickle meaning large, little or mickle, Uh, has still the same figure, though certainly known to fall from the air. The commonality superstitiously imagines that the fairies hath made and gives them that shape, and that they do hurt by them, which we call elf-shot." And then he goes on to quote a wonderful work, the 17th century minister and proto-folklorist Robert Kirk's treatise, The Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fauns, and Fairies, which is a a fantastic historical read if you ever get uh, time to check that out. So Kirk is describing uh, the the beliefs of the people of Scotland and and, uh, talking about the the weapons made by elves and fairies. And so uh, to quote here from Davidson, Similarly, Kirk describes the weapons as being, quote, Most what solid earthly bodies, nothing of iron, but much of stone, like to a soft flint spa, shaped like a barbed arrowhead, but flung like a dart with great force. These arms, cut by airt and tools it seems beyond humane. And I think ert, uh as a noun often means like a compass point, but it could mean like art or guidance. Mm. Uh, but again, Kirk is saying that they're beyond human. Uh, I, sa- I think I said humane, but i would probably just be human here. Uh, have, uh, have something of the nature of thunderbolt subtlety and mortally wounding the vital parts without breaking the skin. So I love this idea. They have something of the nature of thunderbolt sub- subtlety Uh, this description from the 17th century reminds me of what the farmer in the much later account in the 19th century said about opening up the calf and finding that even though the skin had not been broken, the heart had been pierced with a fairy arrow and they could tell by the hole. Mm. And, uh, here Kirk says that these weapons have this, this thunderbolt subtlety. If I understand that right, I, I think he's suggesting almost kind of a semi-spectral quality, that like lightning, they can kill you without leaving a hole in the skin, uh, even though they are actual physical missiles. They've got kind of a, a, a transparent or uh, or subtle quality that allows them to kind of warp through solid matter. And later in the text, Davidson writes that there was a belief in Ireland, where you could have an animal that had been hit by, by an elf arrow and you would not find a hole in the skin, but if you feel with your fingers, you could find a hole in the flesh beneath, even though again the skin is intact. And I, I love thinking about that because I, even if you just you know feel around on your own body, you can find all kinds of little like, <laughs> I don't know, textural differences in the flesh underneath the skin you're pressing on, which you could interpret to be like a hole.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's you can you can go wild, uh you know, reinterpreting your own uh physiology if you think there might be some sort of a, like a hole there made by uh, by elves or what have you. Um yeah, yeah so the, it's, it's it's fascinating.
0: Well, and it makes me think about like um hypochondria, you know, mm-hmm. in this era. So now you might have a more realistic catalog of diseases to draw upon when you are, are sort of like getting in your head about that and assuming that you might have all kinds of things affecting you. You can like look up real medical conditions on the internet, but like, you know, at a time before that, instead of hypochondriac Googling the Mayo clinic website and stuff, people are thinking about like uh, elf arrows and all kinds of curses and things like that.
1: Yeah. Did I pull a muscle or do I have elf cake? Uh, you know, it's both would seem equally possible uh, in these cases.
0: I also think there's an interesting tension here that if there was some belief that these weapons were somehow ghostly or or subtle in a more archaic sense, like able to pass through solid objects like a ghost, um, th- that's an, an interesting tension with the evidence of them often being literally an artifact made of stone, the stone the most perfectly solid and earthly substance people can think of.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. The idea that this is some sort of, at, at once, it is somehow a, a, a magical, invisible weapon that cuts right through flesh and, uh, and pierces organs and brings about mysterious elf illnesses. And yet at the same time, yeah, here's the stone. You can hold it. You can pick it up. Uh, it, uh, it outlives us all.
0: One final account I wanted to mention from Davidson. Um, He quotes a uh, testimony allegedly given during uh, trials for witchcraft in Scotland. And this is in a book by Pitcairn. Uh, And this is citing the alleged testimony of a, a woman convicted for witchcraft in 1662 named Isabel Gowdy, who reports having seen the elf arrows being made, quote, the devil sharps them with his own hand and delivers them to elf boys. What whittles and dites them, I think dights means to like adorn, equip, or ready something, and dites them with a sharp thing like a packing needle. And a mm-hmm. packing needle was a large, heavy needle used for sewing rough materials like canvas. Now that's an interesting account for a number of ways. Uh, one is that, of course, while we should always be skeptical readers of any historical account. Remember that there are like several extra layers of skepticism. You should apply to alleged confessions of witches, not just because they involve supernatural elements, uh, but because you have to often suspect coercion in the circumstances of the confession and also suspect alterations made by the persons allegedly recording the testimony. But interesting, nonetheless, that like somebody at least put together this account of so Satan is making these weapons and then handing them off to elf boys to be refined. And the elf boys will whittle them and then uh, adorn them with like a, a sharp prick on the end, like a packing needle.
1: Yeah, I was reading in, in one of my sources uh, that I was looking at that, uh, that you see a lot of... Um, uh, of, of picking and choosing from both uh, christian and pre-christian traditions and working out exactly how elf shot works in this case but also how one alleviates elf shot like are you are you calling out to uh, uh to, to the holy ghost or are you sort of calling out maybe with a little more um,
0: you know, a little more vaguely to other powers in the world i would say this is also evidence of a tradition that you see I think we talked about this uh, a bit in some episodes we did last year called the holy undead uh, mm-hmm. that involves some stories of uh, stories from the frontiers of Christianity in the medieval period. Uh, but th- the idea would be that sometimes beings that were not necessarily devils or could have multiple moral valences in the original context of uh, of a religion would. Once the area is taken over by a new religion, these beings undergo a kind of formal demonization, where now they're just turned in. well, those were demons, actually. Those are devils. Now, I'm
1: reminded of an example. Uh, This was something from uh, one of our episodes last year that came out during Halloween. Uh, uh, Ghosts of Wind and Rain, I believe was the title. We mentioned uh, Herne the Hunter as being a a kind of... Kind of wild hunt related ghost uh, that was said uh, to ride through the woods surrounding Windsor Castle, and there are various stories about him. But I remember one of the one of the details from that, and I won't go through through all of it. But there was one account. Uh, and this one was actually shared by uh, by Carol Rose in one of her books. Uh, th- There's a story told or retold by folklorist Ruth Tongue about three British youths uh, decked out in the teddy boy style of the 1960s. And they're out there in the woods near Windsor Castle. They find They find a horn in the woods. They blow it. Uh, and then an unseen spirit pursues them through the woods and shoots one of them with a ghost arrow, slaying them dead without any physical wound. So, uh, so that of course is, is, is easily playing with the same, uh, palette of colors that we have, uh, in elf shot. I mean, it is
0: essentially elf shot. So there could be like a hole in the brain without mussing of the pompadour, right? The story is much funnier by the way, if you know what the Teddy Boy style looks like. So you should look that up if you're not familiar.
1: I had to look it up again to see what the, the style consisted of. And uh, it's hard to nail down. Like, I, it's hard to really, like, how do I explain this? Weird suits, strange hair, kind of a youth, a youth style that did not quite become iconic, at least not, uh, not, not to, to, uh, to modern minds. Maybe it has more uh, staying power
0: in Britain. I see some elaborate upswept hairstyles. I guess you would call these pompadours or, I don't know, maybe something else. But then I see very long coats, uh, sometimes skinny ties. Uh, I, I don't know what else to group this with. Uh, it's it's not exactly mod. It's not exactly greaser. It's uh, it's something else.
1: Yeah, yeah. British subculture of the mid-50s to the mid-60s. I guess the the big thing would be like, what are the Teddy Boy movies? I think there was, there was uh, just a movie called Teddy Boys from, what is this, 1959, starring Cliff Richard. But, um, but uh, again, I have to hear from, uh, from perhaps our, our listeners in the UK who have thoughts on the Teddy Boy style. Teddy Boy or not, you don't want to go messing around in the woods uh, and picking up strange
0: horns and blowing on them because that's one way to catch a ghost arrow. Right. And one last thing I do want to say uh, about this paper before we move on for now is that even by Davidson's account, not everybody who found an arrowhead in in Great Britain in centuries past thought that they were made by elves, fairies, witches, or the devil. Uh, Davidson quotes a Welsh naturalist named uh, Lwyd, I think is how you say his name, spelled L-H-W-Y-D, but who uh, this guy, as early as the 17th century, was arguing that these elf arrows were, in fact, relics of a previous regime of human manufacture. In fact, he was arguing against multiple theories. One, that they'd been made by uh, supernatural beings. The other, that they'd just been made as charms. Uh, and he was like, I don't think they were made as charms. In fact, they look a lot like the arrows that are still used by some people today to hunt food. Uh, so, yeah, they were probably used for shooting by people who used to live here.
1: Yeah, but but like we said, they do end up getting used as, as amulets and charms, and uh, and also have their their place in folk remedies of the day.
2: BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast, investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California, and. Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com/slash investing in America.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware Gaming Tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential
3: 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Uh, one of the sources I was looking
1: at with a, with a focus on Irish traditions is Flint and Lithic Lore by Marion Dowd from 2019, published in Archaeology Ireland. And Dowd points out that the artifacts in question in, in Ireland, uh, in this case, and collected by the Irish Folklore Committee in the late 1930s, were primarily collected and originally interpreted in post-medieval and modern Irish rural communities. And the various elf stones or elf shots, they consisted of various things, including post-medieval gun flints, fossils, unusual pebbles, but they also included Neolithic and Bronze Age arrowheads. Uh, so, uh, I think that's important to keep in mind, like basically anything could be an elf stone or an elf arrow, if it were, if it were found, if it were, and if it were found to be novel in some way, and then gets, uh, f- you know, reinterpreted with this supernatural script. Reminds me a bit of the, I'm, I'm all, I've brought this up numerous times with the idea of star jelly, the idea mm. that if you see, See some sort of uh, it looks like something fell from the sky in the nearby woods. So you go out into the nearby woods and you keep poking around until you find something slimy that mm-hmm. you're like, I've never seen that before. This must be the thing that fell from the sky. Uh, right. there's plenty there are plenty of slimy things in the woods. You just aren't, usually aren't looking for them. <laughs> but if you look for them with the script in mind, the the mucus of the universe, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Dowd also points out some. It uh, basically goes over some of the general ideas caught up in the traditions of elf shot. Uh, sometimes the effects were human targeted in order to take the person away to the fairy realm, but in it seems like most cases you're dealing with the targeting of cattle. And in some cases, this might be intentional. Other times, it's described as being uh, due to an accident. Like, basically, there are uh, battles between groups of elves in the night. And, well, your cattle just happened to stray between uh, these two groups, and one of them caught an elf arrow by accident. And then uh, there are other things, of course, one can do to anger the elves in some of these traditions. Uh, One of the examples that, that she specifically mentions is the cutting down of a white thorn tree. Uh, that especially, uh, that could earn you uh, an elf shot right there. And then she gets into a lot of, she also spends a lot of time talking about um, the cures for elf shot. And a lot of these do end up involving uh, the little elf stones and, and elf arrows that one might find. These various stone artifacts that are very often um, uh, Neolithic or Bronze Age uh, arrowheads, but she mentions uh, other cures that don't involve this. For instance, one was to travel silently and wordlessly to a bog and fetch water for the animal to drink, but you had to keep your silence the whole time or it wouldn't work. Mm. She discusses a collection of elf stones known as the Taniwadi Duff Sades. And uh, the collection, she says, consisted of 15 flint and chert lithics, including a Neolithic hollow scraper, two convex scrapers, several complete and broken blades and flakes, waste flakes, and a post-medieval gun flint. And these had apparently also been used in various folk medicine treatments over the years. As she points out later, you would often have in a community you would have a collection of these. Like these would be the the elf stones that were kept. And if there's some sort of suspected case of um, of, of an animal having been elf shot or experiencing elf bolt, then you would turn uh, to these artifacts and somebody you know who knew how to use them. Mm. I included a picture here of uh, of these particular stones from from this paper, Joe, and you can you can see them here. There, uh, th- these have not been, or at least to my eye, they don't seem to have been changed in any way, shape, or form. I know I saw some other images where it looks like in the sort of reinterpretation of the item, there might be something added to them, but these seem mm. uh, very much as they would have been found.
0: Yeah, I'd seen some mounted in. Um, I don't know what the term is—a little sort of like frame for a for a stone charm. Yeah. So, how would these be
1: used? Well, you, you mentioned we, we mentioned the water already, and indeed, the use of water seems to 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 be a common theme in treatments where you'll have the the elf shot will be placed in the water. Other times, they'll be wrapped in a rag, and then that bundle of, of rag and uh, and stones will be placed in the water, and then you give the water to the animal to drink. Uh, sometimes the the water is heated up. Uh, other times it's not. Sometimes iron is added to the mixture, sometimes coins. In, in one case that she cites the mix, the mixer added quote a florin, a penny, and a half penny. So uh, a very, very specific amount of money added to the mix.
0: Who keeps the money
1: afterwards? Um I don't know. Like I don't guess the money is considered as special as the stones, so I guess the money might go back in your pocket. Mm. But I could be wrong on that. She also mentions a treatment method by which, quote, a plow coulter was heated in the fire and passed around the cow several times, repeating incantations until the elf dart, quote, melted into the animal's body. And I, I really love that one, in, in, in part because it doesn't seem to involve water or the use of one of these stones. It uses like another sort of magical modern artifact, like magical power is attributed to the, the plow coulter and then you're you're using incantations and making this like the supernatural dart that is inside the animal melt away and become part of the animal mhm and i don't know this particularly reminded me of, a, a bit of of both like psychic surgery and ufo the ufology concept of alien implants like you know there's a, uh, there's something inside It's not supposed to be, be there let's use a uh, you know psychic surgery to remove it uh, mm-hmm. and, and of course you know that'll be a situation where uh, you know it is a, it's a con act where one mm-hmm. is um, is is, is uh, pretending, putting on a show of, of removing something from the body without actually making uh, an indention in the body. Right. Now, what's interesting to think about there, though, is that it, on one hand, uh, dealing with like modern concepts of, of psychic surgery and in ufology, ufoology, um, versus these older ideas, when you're dealing with the human context, some sort of ritual like this could have a placebo effect on the human individual uh, and you would so you could never discount the placebo effect completely but with mm-hmm. the cow uh, i mean the cow doesn't know what's going on they don't know the cow mm-hmm. doesn't know why you're heating up a plow coulter and going in circles around it etc
0: wait though that's actually a fantastic question that i have never thought to look into before Could there be a placebo effect on animals? It would probably need to work by a different mechanism. Because like in humans, it it does seem to make a difference if the human thinks there's a mechanism of repair or something, even if there's not. Uh, In the case of an animal, though, I could still imagine there could be placebo-like effects. Maybe like that an animal uh, feels better by receiving attention from its human. Like the same human that feeds it is paying attention Mm. to it now. Or by, I don't know, other sort of uh, calming effects of certain types of attention or intervention. I don't know.
1: Or like the, the licking of a, like a dog licking its wound, that sort of thing. I guess that's a more complicated uh, topic. Like t- to what extent is the, the licking actually helping? And then it what to what extent is it just a calming action on the part of the dog?
0: Oh, I, I imagine that dogs licking wounds is to some extent adaptive. I Again, I haven't checked this. I would I would assume that it would be to remove contaminants from wounds.
1: Now Dowd shares other healing measures here. Um, this one, I think, was was from the modern period. "Quote: The fairy shot cow was cured by feeding her gunpowder mixed with an egg." Mm. Yeah. My favorite breakfast.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute. Kept... Hold on. No, gunpowder has uh, has uh, ingredients that uh, that are used in cooking sometimes, right? Like uh, like nitrates. Am I wrong about that? Hold on. Okay, I was right about that. So gunpowder is like the main constituent of it is uh, potassium nitrate, uh, also known as saltpeter. And that is also a major ingredient in like cured meats. So I don't know, maybe you're having like a cured egg yolk. I, I guess I'm reaching here. I,
1: I'm, I'm going to put on a, a strong warning against trying this at home, though. Please no, do not, not try cooking. With, <laughs> do not cook with gunpowder. Uh, Dowd shares sh- some uh, some other fascinating uh, tidbits from these various accounts of elf shot. One is that disrupting a ring fort could earn you potential elf shot these were these are this also gets into the reinterpretation of um, of remains of of, of, of old uh, civilizations and cultures because ring forts uh, certainly in Ireland and, and outside of Ireland as well we're talking about the remains of bronze Age circular fortified settlements hmm Uh, In particular, she mentions uh, one account uh, that was shared of a woman driving cattle past a ring fort, uh, and then suddenly the herd is attacked by a a fairy shooting one of these uh, arrows uh, uh, through the air, and a cow is struck and collapses, but then she's able to search around, find uh, various bits of, of flint fragments, boil these, quote, in the cow's drink, and thereby cured her. And there's some other fun accounts. There's some sort of like near misses that I also thought were, were very uh, uh, very fun. There's one account in which a uh, you, ha- you have a, a a woman returning home and she has a wooden pail of milk with her, and when she gets home, she realizes that there are two elf stones embedded in the pail, uh, and uh, and these were thrown by uh, by the fairies by the elves. There's another story of a woman carrying uh, a baby. And uh, when she gets home, she finds that the baby has one of the elf stones in its hand and is chewing on it, uh, <laughs> which I like that one as well. Like, did the baby catch it out of the air or did the elves, like, give it to the baby? Like, uh, I, I, I kind of like that later interpretation because it's like, you know, the, the elves see, like, oh, this is a baby. This is really, you know, this, this, this isn't like the, the other humans. Let's give, let's give the baby an elf arrow. And also let's kind of just mess with the mom by doing this
0: catching it in the air well, that's a nimble baby that baby's got yeah. a future in professional sports <laughs>
1: but anyway conventional wisdom is that if if there is elf shot thrown at you and you happen to find some uh, an elf stone on the ground you better take it as a protective amulet and or to use as it, for its curative effects if you were hit or if the, you know, more particularly if a cow uh, in your keeping was hit. And there are sort of common interchangeable features of the cure that Dowd shares. So uh, we've, we've touched on, on several stories that mention this already. Placing the stones in water and perhaps adding something like a piece of metal or particular coins to the water as well. Um, then the water may be consumed by the sick or in some cases rubbed on like the cow's body. Uh, There may be prayers, they may be incantations. And I I saw some examples of these that some of them like lean more into Christian traditions and mention the Holy Ghost. Others seem a little more um, Mm -hmm. Uh, pre-Christian. The water itself that's used may come from a particular place, such as a stream at a crossroads or a particular bog. Uh, And then at least in one case, I saw a situation where once you have the water prepared, instead of giving it to the cow... Uh, you pour it on the ground near where the elf shot occurred. So uh, so treat the place where the wounding occurred to treat the wound. Uh, also silence during journeys factors into some of these. We already mentioned one account of that. Again, a mixing of pagan and Christian traditions. And uh, yeah, so so uh, these are just some of the basic properties you see in the treatment, though there, there are, again, a lot of variations here. There's a lot of drift into exactly how one might cure elf shot and exactly how or to what extent or if you might incorporate elf stones in the cure. Now, I didn't look, but I, I can only imagine that um, uh, various conspiracy thinkers have a lot of fun with this in uh in terms of uh, like ancient aliens and uh, mm. and perhaps ancient time travelers, like clearly they might argue this is this is referring to a time when a time traveler went back in time and fired a revolver at somebody, <laughs> <laughs> fired a handgun, and there was a shell casing left on the ground, uh, or or you know an alien used a phaser or something to that effect.
0: Yeah, I was thinking phasers because there you could have some kind of you know, uh, sort of science fantasy explanation of how it zaps the inside, uh, the inside without burning the skin.
1: Yeah. And of course I, I love the argument of, well, the elves were actually aliens because yes, that is absolutely correct, but not in the way that you're trying, not, not in the way that you're trying, you're saying it, uh, like the el- the idea of the elf, the idea of the alien visitor, like these, these are the highly related concepts. These are linked concepts that do the same thing that fulfill the same purpose in our attempt to understand, uh, the, uh, the unknown. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's always amusing.
0: Yeah. I think it's quite clear that at the very least, in most cases, what you're looking at is extremely similar, uh, mental and social phenomena, getting a new coat of paint or getting a reskin basically.
1: And I certainly don't want to speak ill of the elves, uh, I will uh, I'll, uh, read everybody a quote from the uh, Wikipedia entry on elves. This is one I shared with you uh, just the other day, Joe. Quote: This is from the Wikipedia entry. From a scientific viewpoint, elves are not considered objectively real.
0: Uh, citation needed. <laughs> where have you? Where has anyone ever proven that elves are not objectively real? <laughs> Well, they, uh, they, they, there's a citation <laughs> on this
1: line, and it is from an article titled Elves in Anglo-Saxon England Matters of Belief, Health, Gender, and Identity mm-hmm. by um, uh, Alaric Hall from, from 2007.
0: Oh, I've got a couple of papers by Alaric Hall that I think I'm going to talk about in the next
1: episode. Okay. Well, I, I, it sounds like he'll be a good source because he does seem to, if the Wikipedia <laughs> citing, citation here is correct, does seem to side with the argument that elves
0: are not objectively real. <laughs> Okay, we got to redo our whole approach to this. Consult <laughs> only journals that are dedicated to the premise that elves are objectively real. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, um, yeah, so we'll
1: be back in the next episode. We have more to say about elf shot and uh, elf disease and so forth. Um, in the meantime, uh, yeah, welcome to Halloween season. We're, we hope to have multiple episodes here for you. That align with the Halloween season, as usual here on Stuff to Blow Your Mind. We like to, uh, really like to lean into this holiday particularly. So, uh, yeah, stick with us. We have core episodes on on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have listener mail on Mondays. On Wednesday, you'll find a monster fact or artifact episode. And again, during this season, they'll definitely be uh, be monstrous and horror themed. And then on Fridays, we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a weird film. And of course, during the month of October, those. Weird films are are, are, are definitely going to be uh, more of the, uh, the horror variety I imagine.
0: Huge thanks as always to our excellent audio producer Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com
2: Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think
3: usually I play a character and it causes enough